Welcome to Sparks and Recreation, your source for info on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realms. Part of the Realms Rising Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tim, Agent C-13. I just wanted to let you all know that we had a special guest on the show today, and the interview went a little longer than we anticipated. So we will not be having any other segments in today's show. Enjoy the interview. Let's get into it. Okay, everybody, welcome to our main segment this episode. We have a very distinguished special guest joining us, Darwin Castle, creative director for Wise Wizard Games. Thank you so much for joining us today, Darwin. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It's a huge honor to have you. We have lots of questions lined up for you. And before we jump in, though, I just want to give a quick bio or intro of Darwin. So for the listeners who don't know him, and I doubt there are many of them who don't, but just in (laughs) case. Uh, Darwin is actually a champion Magic the Gathering player, and hopefully we'll hear a little bit about that in our interview. Uh, So he has a long history of playing games, but he's also a prolific game designer as well. Uh, He helped design Star Realms. In fact, I think he's the lead designer, and we'll hear about this in our interview. Hero Realms. He's also uh, designed Battle for Hill 218, Battle for Sector 219, Space Station Assault, the epic card game, BS trading game, Battleground Fantasy Warfare, and Ascension, Chronicle of the Godslayer. So just a quite a list of awesome games under his belt. Um, so just a real pleasure to have you here today, and we're looking forward to a, a fun interview, Darwin. Awesome. So I want to start off and get the important question out of the way first, Darwin. Okay. All right. And, and my question for you is, who at Wise Wizard Games do I have to talk to to get the wizard an extra three to five starting hit points? <laughs> well, you could do worse than talking to me about it. I don't have final say on that, but I do have quite a bit of influence. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, your best bet would be trying to create some sort of popular groundswell, uh, because I don't know if your opinion alone would be enough to get that switched, but if there was sort of some sort of like uh, petition with lots of uh, people supporting it, that, that might get the right people's attention. Petition on Discord. Okay, okay. I'm writing some notes down here. Yeah, right, and thanks. everybody listening, uh, sign that petition. <laughs> so just so I don't get in any trouble, uh, while every single uh, game you mentioned uh, is a game that I was involved in some capacity or another, there were a few down the stretch, which I wasn't really involved in the design process. Uh, like, uh, I did some development work on Ascension, but I wasn't one of the primary, I wasn't one of the designers on that. And I think every other one you mentioned, I did at least some design work, uh, but only like the first like five games you mentioned was I the lead game designer. Only the first five. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going off your uh, Wikipedia page there, so there might be. Some, yeah. No, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm associated with all those games in some capacity. I just, you know, don't want like, you know, the lead game designer of Ascension being like, I heard that you're the designer of Ascension. I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, that's right. Yeah, we'll try to avoid any uh, copyright or uh, attribution. Yeah, I don't want my teeth knocked out. <laughs> Justin's pretty tough. 
Yeah, you're good. Well, uh, your nickname apparently is the Big D. So, you know, there's probably not too many people who would want to try to knock your teeth out. So. Oh, well, I'm certainly one of the biggest game designers I know, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a relatively nonviolent fellow. That's good. How tall are you, by the way, Darwin? Six foot four. Six foot four. Wow. You have me beat by an inch. You are a big gamer. All right. So um, now that the important question is out of the way and we can all relax a little bit. First, let's take a look into your gaming history, because I know you have a storied career. You're actually a, a member of the Hall of Fame in Magic the Gathering. So can you tell us a little bit about your gaming history and your past? Yeah. Um, so for my youth, it was just a passion, a passion you know, a hobby. Like I like to play um, little uh, cardboard tile-based war games and Stratego and Risk and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, a lot of my family was really into playing cards and chess. And uh, then in college, I uh, won like some, you know, dorm chess tournaments and was getting into that. And my senior year of college was 1994 when magic had just sort of started to fly and uh i was really into uh comic book collecting at the time and my comic book dealer was like oh my gosh you have to try this card game magic the gathering and he then proceeded to tell me that it was really addictive as if this was some sort of selling point (laughs) and i'm like huh, I don't know if I want to get addicted to something that I would have to potentially spend my comic book money on. Not to mention, at my senior year of college, I was pretty dedicated to, uh, you know, chasing the ladies. So I didn't really want to dilute that time on an addictive game. So I managed to hold off on that, um, even after going to one of his game nights and watching him play. But uh, that summer, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine apparently was into Magic, and she's like, oh, you would love this game. And she gave me a rule book. And uh, I had a summer job where I sat around a lot. So I, I taught myself how to play, went and bought a bunch of booster packs, taught a couple friends how to play. And then it, she was correct. It was totally exactly my kind of game. <laughs> I, I'm so glad Magic didn't exist when I was a kid because um, my grades would have been way worse because I would have been playing Magic all the time. Um, but because it's way, it takes up way more time than comic books, in part because... I'm very competitive and I didn't want to just play magic. Like I was, I was so excited when I found out there were tournaments for this game. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, and then like, I couldn't just play in tournaments. I wanted to win tournaments and I didn't want to just win t- tournaments. I wanted to like be one of the best, if not the best. And that, as it turns out, uh, especially these days, it just requires a commitment like you know imagine if you want to be the best golfer or something like you just you can't dabble like it right it's all consuming and you know once i started playing magic professionally pretty much everything else in my life fell by the wayside uh so again glad it wasn't around when i was a kid but uh i um yeah i i had quite a bit of success to the point where as, as you mentioned i was in the first hall of fame class um, you know, I, I won a few relatively big professional tournaments and had a lot of top finishes and, um, you know, over the course of my career, won a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you know, what, not, not, not it spread out over several years, of course, but, uh, you know, for a card game, it still felt kind of cool, you know, it at least paid my expenses for flying around the world to plan tournaments. So that, that was my misspent youth in like my twenties <laughs> and my thirties and uh, where I didn't really get my career going, not knowing that it would lead to a career. That's great stuff. And, uh, 
just thinking about the Venn diagram of your college days, comic book collecting, Magic the Gathering, and chasing girls. Those three probably didn't overlap <laughs> very much. Or two of them might have, but the third one maybe not. Yes, well, well, so I, I, like I said, I didn't get into magic till after college, which probably helped. <laughs> and, you know, comic books was something I was pretty easy to keep on the DL. So that, that also helped. <laughs> um, the, 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 those were not my creds I brought to the dating table, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I hope not. Well, I can I can relate to. I think all of us can. Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I can say you referred to your comic book dealers, one who tried to sell you this addicting game. And so that really made me chuckle that uh, that you had a dealer that was dedicated to getting you hooked on something else. So, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I, I, when I started playing Magic, they didn't have like card shops. They had you got your your cards at comic book shops like and so there there was this one-to-one overlap between comic book stores and sources of getting magic cards Um, obviously things have changed a lot since the 90s but that's the way it was back then definitely Uh, out of curiosity darwin what are your top two or three favorite comic books well so there were at the time there were four comics that i was dedicated to owning every single issue of uh one was the punisher war journal uh, one was uh, Wolverine. Uh, one was Spider-Man. Not like Amazing Spider-Man or Spectacular Spider-Man. It was just the Todd McFarlane, which is called Spider-Man. Uh, and I, how could I possibly be blanking on the fourth one? Oh, uh, it was uh, the Tales of the Dark Knight. It was a Batman comic book. Oh, good choices all around. Nice. All right. Well, transitioning on from your game playing, and we could even talk about that in detail, I'm sure, but just to keep things moving. How did you transition from playing games and being a very successful pro player to starting to design games or thinking about your own creation? Um, So after I've been playing Magic many years, there started being more and more companies pursuing that type of game. And uh, gradually, I saw other Magic players sort of drifting into the field um, because um, trading card games were still new enough that there wasn't like a lot of trading card game designers in existence at the time, like except for the ones that worked for Wizards of the Coast, and they were hard to lure away, uh, mm-hmm. and there just wasn't enough to go around. And you need for a big trading card game, now we're not talking about like deck building games, we're talking specifically trading card games. Uh, if you're going to make sets somewhat rapidly, you need a relatively big team, uh, especially for development. Um, and so the, the the best people, at least for the development, maybe not for the design end, are top-level players because uh, they can really uh, push to break cards, as we call it. Right, like when right. you want to find out which cards are too good and you know which cards are like not worthy of consideration and uh so that was part of it i saw you know other people getting into it especially since deck design uh, which not all magic players were good at deck design but i i I was that was one of my things uh translates well to game design Mm -hmm. uh, at least the right the same mentality but uh at some point um, some people, uh, we knew, and by we, I mean, uh, I was part of a team playing magic. We were called team Yorm of games. We were representing, uh, Rob Darty's game store, who's currently the CEO of wise wizard games. Uh, we, some people who knew us approached us from upper deck entertainment and they wanted to create 
They had gotten the license from Marvel and from DC to create a trading card game based on them. And uh, they had, you know, picked up some people who had worked at Wizards of Coast in some capacity. Um, so they were within spitting distance of people who worked on Magic, but they hadn't necessarily worked on Magic themselves. And they were having a little trouble coming up with a good engine and stuff like that. So it had occurred to them that maybe they should just try and recruit some Magic players. So they approached our team, said, could we fly out to California and spend like some number of days? They put us up in a hotel and help them create their engine for their game. Um, not that we'd ever had experience with that sort of thing, but we were like, if you're paying, sure, that sounds cool. Um, and it turned out that, like, while they were all super nice guys, they weren't really on track for the engine. And, like, because we're used to coming up with designs of, you know, magic decks and stuff and, and solving those sorts of problems, we came up with a what I thought was a pretty good engine pretty quickly that was way better than the one they were working on. Um, and they were smart enough to realize that uh so they, they adopted our engine and you know we helped them with some of their card design and they offered multiple of us jobs on the spot only one of us took it at the time i I've, i had a commitment to working for rob at the time i was uh, managing his game store um i wish you know in retrospect or there was a while when i wished i'd asked him to uh you know, for his blessing to go pursue this, because eventually when I took care of my obligation to him, I then pursued a job at Upper Deck. But by then they had enough people, they were only taking people on as contractors. Okay. Um, and by then they'd hired multiple friends. They're like, oh, you know, do we need another person who's got the same sort of background and the same mentality? Um, but yeah, so I spent six months as a contractor at Upper Deck. And I knew almost instantly it was something I wanted to pursue. Like uh, I'd sort of been drifting from job to job for my 20s. And uh, I really needed, you know, to start a career at some point. And I, I have a degree in broadcast journalism, but I'd never really pursued that. Um, and in part because it by my senior year of college, when we actually were taking like broadcasting classes, I realized, wow, they, in order to be a reporter or whatever, they want you to be a dick. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want, that's not me. Like, I, I just don't want to get in people's faces with a, with a microphone. Um, it was bad enough, like interviewing like a naked basketball players after Syracuse games. I was just like, this just is not my, my bag. Um, so I, I had, I finished just to get a degree, but like I was in sort of search for a career, but when I worked as a contractor upper deck, I instantly knew this is what I want to do because my skill set from Magic translated so well, and there is so much more money in it, and so much more consistent money and reliable dependent money. Like Magic, I might win, you know, thirty grand in a weekend, but then I might go a year without winning any money. Like um, it's just not consistent, reliable income, and they tax the crap out of winnings. Um, plus you have to pay for your own travel expenses, et cetera. So it wasn't right. It at, certainly at the time didn't have the makings of a career. You know, I tried, I was writing for various strategy sites and stuff, but frankly, writing about strategy was just another thing that made me qualified to work for a game company. Um, not, you know, for game design specifically, but being a good writer helps working at a game company. Uh, that, that's when I realized it was something I wanted to do. And that was a really good launching point for my resume was having worked as a contractor, uh, on the versus card games. Um, and 
once I knew it was something I wanted to do and had my resume started, it was just a matter of time. Like I, you know, worked for a couple different companies. Um, and, and finally, when I was between jobs uh, and looking after having worked at three different game companies, uh, most all of which were smaller except for Upper Deck, um, I decided to go on a tour of West Coast game companies because that's where all the companies I wanted to work at were, even though I lived on the East Coast. But I really wanted something to be like, no, really hire me. So I decided to design a game and design a good game. I just decided it was going to be a good game <laughs> and bring it with me to show them to be like, look how awesome at game design I am. Don't don't just rely on my resume or the fact that I was a famous magic player. And so I designed this game, which later would be called Star Realms. Um, and uh, I showed it to my friend Rob, got some input from him. I took it with me and showed it to some other people and got more people's input. Um, but when I didn't immediately get a job offer from all these companies that I visited when I was going up and down the West Coast, Rob's like, you know, that game you designed is really good. And Rob had experience running small game companies. I'd even worked for him in some of them. He's like, why don't we start our own company and publish it? Which coming from a normal individual would sound absurd. But since Rob had, you know, run small game companies before, I knew he knew how to be a CEO. I knew he knew how to produce card games. He, he had con contracts at every level of the industry, at retail, printers, uh, distribution. Um, so it, it wasn't actually that crazy. We just needed to, like, you know, scrounge up some money to get started and stuff. And I believed in the game. And obviously, Rob did, too. So that's all I needed. And that, that became our flagship product. And uh, everything became a lot easier when that game became a hit when we kickstarted it. So um, that kind of leads into another question I had for you uh, for for designing uh, Star Realms and Hero Realms, which is really similar. Um, kind of what is that design process like? You kind of you said, well, I designed this game. Kind of how did that work? So um, as you might be able to glean from the introduction that you guys gave, uh, Star Realms isn't the first game I've designed. It's just the first game I designed for this company. Mm -hmm. um, but sort of the pattern to pretty much every game I design is it takes it, its inspiration from gaming I've done previously. Uh, in a lot of cases, I'll be like, wow, I really like this genre of game or this these game mechanics. But like, I feel like you could make a better game using some of these ideas. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily come up with the whole thing just out of nothing. Uh, a good example, uh, you'd mentioned this game, uh, Ascension Chronicle of the Godslayer. Um, I loved that game. Like, their deck builders were very fresh at the time. Like, the, the first really successful one was Dominion, another game I loved. And uh, there's this uh, guy I was friends with from my Magic days who'd been a member of Team Your Games named Justin Gary. And he wanted to start his own game company or want to get into game design. And he, well, what started out is he just really loved, uh, he really loved Dominion. But he felt like the problem with Dominion was it was too predictable. Like you'd, after you played Dominion a hundred times, you'd lay out the 10 piles and you'd instantly know, okay, these three cards matter and these seven don't. All right. And then, and then so basically it really hurt the replay value of the game. So he created a variant where you just take like one of every card, shuffle them together and just lay them out at random 
And when one got taken away, you'd replace it with another one. And so he was showing this to Rob and being like, see, this is such a cool variant of Dominion. Rob was like, well, this seems like you could make this into a whole nother game. Like you just take this as your starting point, this variant of Dominion, and make a game that's designed to be played this way. And and that was so that then Justin created Ascension because Rob nudged him in the right direction from that. And, and Ascension was directly inspired by Dominion, but using this whole much cooler approach. And so was a much better game than Dominion. Um, you know, Dominion still had its charms, but like, I mean, I, I feel uh, there's some people I know, they, they talk about how when you create a new game in a sort of game type, genre or whatever that's just better you sort of retire the other one and so mm-hmm. they feel like ascension sort of retired dominion because it was kind of like dominion but significantly better because it, it really innovated and did cool stuff that dominion didn't do um and so i I, be, I had liked dominion but i was obsessed with ascension especially since they then created a digital version this is way before dominion had a digital version and it, and it was not just a digital but it was a mobile version so you could play it on an ipad like, I didn't have an iPad, but my girlfriend did, and I would carry her iPad everywhere. Like, oh, I'll drive you to school so I can use your iPad all day to play Ascension or whatever. Um, so I just, I played a bazillion games of Ascension on an iPad. And so uh, I started, much like Justin, after playing a bazillion games of Dominion, saw flaws in Dominion, I saw flaws in Ascension. And I, I felt like the biggest flaw in Ascension was it wasn't interactive enough. It felt kind of like two competing games of Solitaire. Like, I'm playing Ascension and you're playing Ascension, and at some relatively arbitrary point, the game ends, and then we do lots of math and see who got a better score. But there's not a whole lot of interaction between us in the meantime. I mean, it's a really cool game of a solitaire, and it's cool that you have someone you're trying to outscore, but, like, you're not really doing much to me during the game. I mean, a little bit, but not much. And I'm not really doing much to you during the game. Like, they had combat but not to attack each other, to attack these monsters. And, you know, like, uh, it's just, so it, it wasn't interactive. The endpoint seemed really arbitrary. I thought the visuals were awful. And, like, the flavor I thought was bad. And, uh, the, the, you know, there were some other problems with it as well. But basically, I'm like, this is a game I'm obsessed with, and it's so awesome. Yet, I think there's, like, this whole slew of ways to improve it. So if I could do a, a bunch of improvements to a game that I'm obsessed with, imagine how much people could potentially like it. Um, so basically, I went from there. Um, I uh, created a game with flavor that I liked better, that I, I felt lent itself to what I wanted to do. Um, and then the adding the directly attacking your opponent solved the two biggest problems. One, the game suddenly became massively interactive because you're attacking me and you're attacking my stuff, right? And then also, instead of having an arbitrary endpoint where you're like counting up some gemstones or whatever and some arbitrary number of gemstones, then when they're going, it was like getting your opponent's health to zero. Like that, that's a very intuitive endpoint that you can see coming. Cause like a lot of times in Ascension, you're like, oh, is, oh, is the game o- over now? Oh, okay. Like you, you, and also during Ascension, you don't, you can sort of guess who's winning, but you don't really know how you're doing compared to your opponent until you've counted up at the end. But with this, you directly know how you're doing compared to your opponent because you look at your score and you look at theirs. And I mean, yes, that doesn't mean you're going to win, but it gives you a reference that can help influence your play and, again, makes the game more interactive. So the game's way more interactive, has a, a way better 
you know, climax, a way and a way more obvious endpoint. Um, I think the game has way better visuals, better story. I, I could go on. So that that's usually when I design a game, I'm inspired by some other game and think that I can do it way better. Great stuff. And how illuminating to look at the evolution of deck builders, right? Of course. And oh, yeah. And Tim, I'm sure, has played a ton of Dominion. I've pl- I played the crap out of that game. Also Ascension Digital. And just to see how these have evolved. And like you said, Darwin, Dominion, once uh, Ascension came out, Dominion was no longer very attractive to play anymore just because, you know, the game had evolved or the genre had evolved. And I think with Star Realms, uh, you mentioned, of course, the interaction. Uh, we have the, uh, I'm sorry, it's not called the market in uh, Star Realms. It's, it's called, the, called the Trade Realm. The Trade Realm, sorry. Yeah, it's been a while since I played Star Realms, thanks to uh, the addictive nature of Hero Realms. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, the other beautiful, really elegant uh, factor in Star Realms is the interaction between the different uh, factions uh, that come into yeah, play as well. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a really, um, it's one of the core concepts of the game that make it really appealing to me anyways. Can you talk a little bit about how that concept came about and how you developed that? Well, so they do a little bit of that kind of thing in Ascension. And I thought that was an example of a mechanic that was beautiful and amazing. And why weren't they doing way more of that, right? Um, Because like when I played Magic, one of the things I liked is when there'd be new sets that came out where there'd be all these building blocks in the set that were really synergistic. So like um, maybe you could build, there's certain really obvious archetypes you could create when drafting. Like um, they had uh, really artifact heavy sets where they had mechanics that really influenced you to try and draft as many artifacts as you could, or this uh, mechanic would make you want to draft as many zombies as you could or whatever, like basically, but it, it, I liked having this cool synergies that were also obvious synergies. Like I, I felt the fact that they were obvious synergies, not only didn't take away from my play experience, I felt they really added to my play experience. Um, but what really makes it special is when you're tempted in multiple different directions. So like, oh, I really want to get these ally abilities, but also really want to get these ally abilities. And like, this is a cool direction to go, but this is a cool direction to go. And then the fight that comes with a deck building game is not only do you want to make your deck as awesome as power, as possible and find the best deck for your deck, the best card for your deck, excuse me, but you'll then see wow, this card would be amazing for my opponents trying to do. And you're tempted to stop them, even though it might not be the best card for you. So like, I like that sort of agony you can put the players in by those kind of choices by having these obvious synergies. And ally abilities are just a real dramatic, obvious, in-your-face synergy, which brings me to another thing I like about ally abilities. I think one of the things that makes Star Realms great and that I try to do with games in general these days is because a lot of the games I design are best played as two-player, you know, versus uh, 1v1 games. And I I think it's great. Most people like to win, and their experience in a game is not as good if they lose, right? But one of the ways I try to ameliorate that is besides having, like, randomness and stuff that will help make it so not the same person wins every time, is to have in-game victories. Have little mini victories you can have while playing the game that can give you the sort of endorphins and the joy and the happiness of a win 
whether you end up to win the game, the whole game in the end or not. And so like if you trigger a cool ally ability or you, tr- you successfully complete a mission when using the mission set or something like that, or you've got your two bases for embassy yacht and then you play the embassy yacht and get the extra bonus ability or whatever, you unlock that. I, I find that that can sort of really juice someone in a positive way that's kind of like winning the game. And okay, maybe you didn't win the game, but you look back and said, I had fun playing that game. And that's what games are all about, right? Right. I, I know as an example for one of those, uh, one of the cards in Frontier's Reclamation Station. Mm, yeah. I always see how much damage I can do by trying to scrap everything because you get bonus damage when you scrap. My favorite thing to do with Reclamation Station is just scrap as much stuff as possible, but not count in advance how much damage I would do if I had scrap and be like, eh, it's probably enough. <laughs> Let's find out. And it's so much joy when... Oh, wow. I thought it was only going to be like 20, but it was 30. Yeah, yeah. they're so dead. <laughs> I've actually done multiple Star Realm streams where I've done that, and it turned out to be the exact amount of damage I needed. Oh. It was pretty awesome. Reclamation roulette, we call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, if it didn't work, it'd still be fine. Right, right. Like, let's say I didn't have quite enough damage. It's, it still would be like just a really jolt of excitement in the game. Totally. Yeah. And I don't want to jump ahead too much here, but in Hero Realms, the mm-hmm. uh, the idea of leveling up characters and building characters and stuff obviously added a whole new level of that type of enjoyment. And mm-hmm. even if you lose, you're still building things and still creating things, which is a, which is a great thing. Yeah. So as as we talked about earlier, I'm the lead designer for Star Realms and Hero Realms. Um, what you're talking about was a cool addition that um, my business partner and CEO of the company, Rob, thought of, Rob Darty. Um, basically, uh, we knew for a while we wanted to make a fantasy version of Star Realms because Star Realms was, by small game company standards, wildly successful. Like mm-hmm. big game companies would like to have games as successful as Star Realms. Um, and so it, it just made sense because, like, with the kind, kind of people who enjoy sci fi games, usually also enjoy fantasy games, like the, in the that sort of niche of gamers. And some of them might like it even better than science fiction games. Um, and frankly, uh, our, our biggest release after Star Realms was a game called Epic, and that was designed by Rob. Um, you know, I did a lot of design work on it, but he was the lead designer. Um, and when we did the Kickstarter for Epic, you know, we talked about the game and we released video gameplay and stuff, but... Still, some of the people who backed it just assumed it was going to be a fantasy version of Star Realms, and it's not. <laughs> it's completely different. I mean, it's awesome, but it's not that. And so given that it wasn't what they expected, some people were disappointed, and they made that very clear, that <laughs> which just sort of added to the, huh, at some point, we really need to make a fantasy version of Star Realms. Um, and one of the lessons, um, I think, that you can learn as a game designer when you compare Star Realms and Epic is um, has to do with complexity. I was actually talking to someone about this today because I, I was uh, this I was testing with a a fellow in Malaysia who's helping me test a new game concept that we have a, a digital prototype of. We're, we're we're considering actually making a game digital first and then making it physical. Normally we make games physical first, then make it digital. But so I was testing this game with him. 
And we played a couple of games and they were like super close and super fun. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my concept is totally going the way I want it to. And then he's like, you know, I feel like we should make this game more complex. And he starts like, you know, making suggestions to add complexity to it. And I'm just like, all right, this guy's not a professional game designer. You don't have to listen to him. I'm like, I mean, don't this guy's really cool and I'm really glad he's helping us. And he's really smart and he's got a PhD in physics and, you know, I, I could go on. But, you know, the, the point being, like, when I first created Star Realms, there were people in the company whose roles were not game design who were like, oh, maybe you should make this game more complex. It seems very straightforward. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, because one, we want to, well, I mean, the goal of most companies is to make a profit, right? Right. And so to do that, we need people besides us to like the game, uh -huh. right? And the more complexity we add, the smaller our pool of potential players is. Because mm -hmm. there's a, there is a small pool of people who just want the most complex possible games. And some of those games make it to the top two of board game, top 10 of board game geek, because the big devout followers of board game geek like complex board games. All right, but if you really want to have a, you know, best-selling game, it's very easy to have too much complexity. And for a deck-building game, that's what expansions are for. You can add as much complexity as you want in expansions, but to get people into the game, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> All right, and so anyways, uh, we, I that's what we were doing with Star Realms, but getting back to Hero Realms, um, we, we decided, oh, so Epic was too complex. So we made the mistake of making what would be the perfect game for us, an audience of two, Rob and I. Like, Rob loves playing Epic. I love playing Epic. Like, there have been times I thought I might like playing Epic more than I like playing Star Realms, which is a strong statement because uh, I was part of my target audience when I made Star Realms, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, I loved Ascension. And I, this is going to be a game I'm going to love even more. So even if no one wants to publish it, I'm going to like playing it with my friends, which is the advice I give to every prospective game designer. Make a game that you and your friends are like playing so it won't be wasted time, even if it never gets published. But anywho, um, so with Epic, this was the perfect game for our audience. And we're like, well, maybe like some serious magic players, maybe there's enough of them. We'll get to spend enough money on Epic that it'll work anyways. And, you know, and it has this niche. There's some people who just love that game, but it just never had the broad support Star Realms did. And I think it's mostly about complexity and uh, degree of skill. Like, it, yes, there's randomness and hidden information, but it's more like chess in that if there's a significant skill gap, the better player wins like 90% of the time, where in Star Realms, maybe the better player wins 70% of the time or something. And that matters a lot, all right? Um, and so with uh, Hero Realms, we sort of went back to the, the good place, and we were going to make something more along the lines of Star Realms. And initially, I designed it so every player started with uh, a character class. Um, I think instead of like fighter, I had warrior. Instead of cleric, I had priest. Instead of wizard, I had mage. But same general idea. Um, and uh, different players had different starting health and different starting hand sizes. But this was a core part of the game. And I made it so it was still a deck building game. But it, it functioned, I don't remember the exact details, but significantly different than Hero Realms. And I tested it with Rob, and I was like, well, wow, this is cool, and definitely creative and interesting, but, like, it's it's no Star Realms. He's like, can you make it more like Star Realms? <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it reminded me of uh, my best friend uh, was the one who got the first job at Upper Deck Entertainment from our crew, uh, this fellow named Danny Mandel. And 
so he got in on the ground floor working on verses and was very successful at that. And he got the plum assignment of being the lead designer for the World of Warcraft trading card game, which was a huge get for Upper Deck, getting the license to World of Warcraft. Um, and so like, he kept going, designing things and going to his boss and being like, what do you think of this design? And the guy's like, can you make it more like magic? And they'd be like, what do you think of it? Can you make it even more like magic? <laughs> and so while World of Warcraft trading card game is a totally fine game and it's in its different than magic but like you know the if you've played them both the lineage is pretty clear right and so uh but it's more okay with us even because both games are by the same company and we can be like hey this is similar to star realms and it's like something to brag about (laughs) you know because everyone likes star realms and they like us so but it one of the things i tried to do when making the sort of there's a couple things i tried to do when making it similar to star realms the first thing i did was I also tried to borrow a couple mechanics from Epic. So like, for example, instead of, we call champions champions in part because we call them champions in Epic because we have monsters or whatever in Epic and we call them champions. And I we, we say you expend them, turn them sideways to use their ability because that's the terminology we use in Epic. So I, my, I thought was, Perhaps if people really like Hero Realms, it could be help be a gateway game to Epic because Epic's too complex. But if it introduces some of the terminology and uses some of the stuff, maybe who knows? It'll it'll help uh, Epic a little bit. Um, but in the meantime, champion was a fine word, anyways, and expend was a fine word, and turning them sideways to show you all those were fine things. And you know, uh, frankly, like. It might be cool in Star Realms if we had some way to signify that you use the base, like turning it sideways or whatever. But it makes a special sense when it's like, I don't know, a person, because like a, a person like swinging or whatever seems to make more flavor sense than, I mean, I guess if the base happens to be in outer space, it's spinning or I don't know. But anyways, it, it, made, it made sense in the time because I'm a magic player. So I'm used to turning things sideways to, uh, to use them if they're representing like a, a monster or something. Um, so that was one thing I did. Um, and, but another thing I did was, I definitely want ways for it to be different than Star Realms. So it, you may, I don't know, a lot of people ask me, are these compatible? Could I just shuffle my Hero Realms and my Star Realms together and play them? And I mean, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, the long answer is no. Um, but no, basically, the power level is different because I want to create a different tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a game called Cthulhu Realms, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, there was a company uh, that paid us money to use the engine from Star Realms to make a Cthulhu-themed game, and they called it Cthulhu Realms. And what they did is they added complexity to Star Realms. No, no, no. <laughs> they added complexity to Star Realms and made it so the game played longer and has a different tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, I love it because more complexity, great for a deep end gamer like me, but that game wasn't nearly as successful as Star Realms. So I, I wouldn't blame you if you've never heard of Cthulhu Realms. Um, so I'm like, what if we went in the other direction? What if we put the pedal in the middle and increased the tempo? Because like <clears throat> one of the problems with basic Star Realms, and there's not many because it's it's my baby and it's kind of perfect. But one of the problems with basic Star Realms is sometimes it takes a little while to ramp up to the exciting portion of the game. 
So that's why you add expansions like gambits or events or something. So the action starts to happen faster and furious and you get to the cool parts of the game. Uh, with Hero Realms, we sort of baked it in. So the powerful cards are cheaper and you just start doing powerful, cool stuff faster. And in the basic version of Hero Realms, the game usually doesn't take as long as Star Realms. But that's when Rob is like, you know, another thing that would be really popular, I bet, that would also help make it different than Star Realms is we could add characters and have people gain experience points and level them up and have them get more powerful. And and that is brings us to what you were talking about. And I was like, sure, whatever. I'm I'm down. <laughs> like I'm not a I've played Dungeons and Dragons when I was younger, but like I'm more of a competitive player than a storytelling player. I mean, mm-hmm. I want my games to have flavor and tell a story. I, I, you know, I like write fiction and I write the flavor text and stuff like that. But I, I think you understand the difference between a competitive game and a storytelling game. And, but Rob was like, man, if we could sort of combine them, like so many people would think this is really cool. And I'm like, sure. I like, you know, if, if you think that's the best way to make money, let's do it. Um, and it turns out it was great. Like I now personally, I, I didn't play a, of that with the physical game but that is the featured way to play with digital as you know and i am loving it like i don't know why i didn't love it sooner i mean i I guess i kind of know why i didn't love it sooner because it's it's a little clunkier with the physical game because you have to own all these cards and it takes longer to set up and to put away and but with the digital we take care of all of that for you and it's awesome and i i love it um, now, of course, I have people like, are you also going to have the basic mode? And the answer is likely, but we want, we wanted to focus the testing now on the, uh, character mode. And, uh, as I'm sure, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And although it does add some complexity in different ways of playing it, it's still elegant. It's very simple to pick up, but it's difficult to master. And I think that's one of the beauties of Star Realms as well. We have this elegant, simple design. But as you say, the really good players win, you know, 70% of the time. So it's not all luck-based. Um, well, this is the other thing I tell game designers. Make your game easy to learn but hard to master. Well, yeah, you've done that with Star Realms and Hero Realms for sure. It sort of reminds me more of something like poker where the best players will consistently win. But there's enough luck in it that it's not like chess where you have to memorize all of this stuff and and have spent years studying to have a chance of beating a you know one of the top players so yeah rob won't even play chess with me anymore because he's like you know if we were starting on equal footing you know i would probably like playing this game with you but you know you've read books on like just the opening moves and stuff like you know uh, there's just no way i'm ever going to have an interesting game of chess with you so i'm just not going to play with you. <laughs> yeah so that that's i was talking with uh someone about this recently because uh I I, it's, I have a surprising number of game designs that are inspired by chess. Like, I don't know if you've played my game, The Battle for Hilt to 18, but that's an example of a card game inspired by chess because I wanted to make a game where the pieces were cards, but they were pieces with um, built-in abilities. Like, they just had properties. You didn't have to have a bunch of stats written on it. You didn't have to, like, roll dice. It just, okay, this is... It's property. This is how it moves. This is how it attacks, just like chess. I, I think chess is a really elegant game. And what I did with that is I added randomness in that my resources, just like the chess, are exactly the same as your resources, but they come in a shuffled deck. So I don't know what order you're drawing your resources, and you don't know what order I'm drawing mine. 
And so that's both hidden information and randomness. If the game goes long, we both draw our whole decks, then it really becomes like chess because I know exactly what's left in your hand and you know exactly what's left in mine. So if you're a better player than mine, I don't want the game to go, than me, I don't want the game to go long. So I, I'll play very aggressively. But, but yeah, so I was recently making a game that was even more directly inspired by chess. And I was trying to explain to someone the problems with chess, which isn't intuitive to a non-game designer necessarily because chess is so universal and so popular. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, when they designed chess, they didn't have as much competition. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, and, and I mean, it is a truly elegant game, but also it wasn't like everyone necessarily played chess. Like maybe it was played more by the nobility or something like it, it, it doesn't. If chess was invented today, it would not have broad appeal. I mean, again, there'd be a segment of the population that thought it was amazing and loved it. But it, but yeah, you really these days to compete in the game marketplace, you need some amount of randomness, hidden information, something. Because like if someone's just going to lose every time, they're going to stop playing your game real fast or never even start playing. For sure. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, continue the interview here and kind of transition into Hero Realms Digital. Um, let's talk about the implementation of the digital version and, um, some of the challenges or problems that you've run into, or some of the interesting things, or just talk about the process of making this paper game into a digital. Cause I know there's some big differences between the two. Well, so, um, we're being more ambitious than we were with Star Realms, um, in part because we want there to be reasons to place Hero Realms that are digital, that are different than the reasons to play Star Realms digital. We don't want people to be like, well, this is the exact same experience with a different skin. Like that. We, we want it to be a fundamentally different experience. Uh, now, if you really like one, you'll probably at least kind of like the other. I mean, you know, they're, they're both using similar engines, they're both made by the same company, um, you know, use some of the same artists, you know, blah, blah. But we, we do want it to have a reason to play one when you're in the mood for this kind of game and a different one, you know, and, and, and just to be a different experience, right? And also maybe pick up some people that weren't interested in Star Realms, but might be interested in Hero Realms. Um, and part of that meant tackling things at the beginning that we, we wouldn't have tackled at the beginning with Star Realms. So, like, in, in addition to having the things that Star Realms had, we had the characters right away mm-hmm. and the leveling system and the treasures you acquired as you were leveling up and just you're customizing your character as they, they moved along, which is just something outside the Star Realms experience. The closest Star Realms comes to that is this set called Commanders. But one, that's an expansion that came out years into the experience. And two, there's no leveling and ev- there's no evolution so the the big thing that makes commanders exciting and interesting is that um, we we don't have identical starting points. Um, so basically, um, I, I'm I'm at a loss for I'm rarely at the loss for words, but I'm a loss for the right word for what that means. But for how how best to describe that? But basically, um, we're not we don't have identical starting points, and that makes it inter- interesting in a way that is different than when I have the exact same starting 10 cards. So my, my starting 10 cards is different than yours. And so I have different abilities and different gambits. And, and that's really interesting. Um, but it makes the game a lot harder to balance. Mm-hmm. So with 
basic starums or basic heroums, if we both have the exact same starting point and we're competing over the same row of cards, that feels fair and for the most part is fair. And people like it when they feel when the game feels fair and they feel like they've got a fair shot of winning. But if um, you know we uh, don't have the same starting resources and they aren't perfectly balanced or don't feel perfectly balanced, it might not feel fair. Like, oh, your deck's better than mine or your deck matches up well with mine. You know, that's going to be frustrating to some people. So uh, it's, it's a bit of a risk. Um, but the nice thing about doing it in digital, because like in Hero Realms Physical, when you buy the base game, it doesn't come with characters. You can then add characters later. And if you found the character experience frustrating, well, don't play with characters. Or, you know, you could always play the fighter and your opponent always play the fighter. And, and that's fair. But then you kind of lose some of the coolness of not having the exact same starting resources and the exact same starting health and stuff. Um, but the cool thing about doing it in digital, so it's a risk to not have the focus be on the same starting resource, the, the basic version. But the cool thing about doing it in digital is we can constantly be making changes as we get these huge pool of data from games played that say, wow, the cleric in built this way always beats the fighter built this way. We need to fix that because like otherwise, you know, the, the, the cleric or the fighter player is going to be really frustrated and be like, Grr, like, I, I don't <laughs> like this. So, so it, it's, I think it's perfectly fine for some matchups to be better than others, you know, like, so a thief built this way is good against a wizard built this way. Or I think that's fine in part because it's impossible to make every single possible variation be 50, 50, that, that that's not even a, not only is it an impossible outcome, I'm not even sure it's a desirable outcome. Like, I think it's interesting when you're like, oh, yes, I'm paired against this, or oh, no, I'm paired against that. Like, I, I think that sort of, you know, playing with people's adrenaline and emotions, that's cool. That's that's an interesting thing. Um, but what we don't want, it's one thing to be like, oh, this is going to be difficult. Another big thing like, oh, man, I'm screwed. Right. Like, we don't want them to feel that way. Right. But so what we've been done, that's been the biggest challenge with digital is constantly looking through the data to be like, wow, this treasure is too weak. No one ever takes it. And the people who do take it lose with it every time. <laughs> we, we need to make that treasure more interesting or this skill or this ability. Like, so we, we've got skill tracks and ability tracks. And if the people who are advancing their fighter always go down the left branch, but never go down the right branch, they're not pro properly balanced. So not only do we want the characters balanced against each other, we want them internally balanced. So if one branch is way stronger, we need to maybe make that branch a little bit weaker, make the other branch a little bit stronger or, or whatever, while also considering how is that going to impact the matchup against other classes. So we try to make it so the gameplay isn't overly complex for the players, but what we're working on internally <laughs> is super complex. And so, yeah, that, that's been the biggest challenge. But at the same time, because we're doing it digitally, it gives us great tools to rise to that challenge. Because mm -hmm. we get the data of all the games being played as we're getting ready for the mass release. And you just click a few buttons and fix it, right? Like, which is a lot harder to do with a, a physical game. Yeah, definitely. And I know Tim and I have talked at length about this just between the two of us. You know, we love this game. We play massive amounts of, of your realms <laughs> digital and we can't yeah you help with that thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure we have 
And, you know, we're always talking about uh, our perceived imbalances or uh, you know, matchups that don't work very well. And um, a lot of that is colored by our own experience, our own play styles and skill levels, and also the people we play against. But you guys are looking at these massive amounts of data of people at different levels. And I don't want to say like different levels in the game, but also skill levels or experience levels. And you have to take all of that into account when balancing. And I'm sure it is quite an endeavor. Yeah, because like, well, at level 12, the wizard's always being the fighter. So that's bad. But at level four, the fighter's always being the wizard. So maybe it's okay. You know, like, it's just, and and the thing is, there's a butterfly effect. Because like, oh, well, let's, you know, make this gold in the wizard into a ruby because the wizard's struggling. And then suddenly the wizard dominates everything because of that one little change. Or but but. In order, but so you never make just one change because, oh, we're going to go into the code and, you know, make some changes. Let's change a few things because we need to fix this and this. So we'll, we'll, we'll change this, change this, change this. And so then all sorts of things happen. And you're like, okay, which one of our changes caused that? And was it a combination of these changes? And do we change this one back? And do we like, it's, 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 it's very challenging. Yeah. A, a butterfly effect is a, is a good way to put it, I think. Definitely. Uh, that said, though, we are, when I say we, Tim and I are basically in agreement that the each step of the development process has been a huge step in the right direction, and the game is in a pretty good place balance-wise. It's getting there, uh, yeah. As I said, awesome. I still have Thank a few you. things. Uh, wink, wink, wizard health. Uh, but uh, Well, I was just going to say, uh, feel free to throw some things out here. Now, or, or if you'd rather, send me an email. You, you have my email address now. My pet gripe is the uh, the fighter versus cleric matchup. So yeah, that's probably the biggest one. That's very difficult to deal with, especially at level twelve. Yeah. So most of my testing these days is at level twelve. Um, so that's the information that's freshest in my mind, without looking just at the reams of data. Just sort of my um, personal experience. And the the thing is, the reason why fighter is so good at low levels against everyone is because it's so brute force. Uh -huh. you know, it can end the game quickly. There's not much room for error against it. But then it suddenly, around a level 12, it becomes, it, it the shoe's on the other foot because, well, yeah, it's still brutal and blah, blah, blah. All four of the, especially the thief, the wizard, and the ranger, but in general, all of them, they just do such cool stuff to make sure their turns are consistent. Like the fighter might have one really amazing turn and then just draw dead and do nothing. Whereas like the ranger, the wizard and the thief in particular can create engines where they can sort of make sure they never have a bad turn. They might not be able to control exactly what they do every turn, but there's a consistency. So they're like setting up their deck and they're shuffling and they're looking and they're drawn and they're, and the fighter's like, do I get a turn? Because you know? I'm going to punch you in the face as hard as I can. Oh man, you dodged. You know, it's just. But so the, it, it's. But we don't want to. We want each character to have its own identity and its own feel. And it's sure we can make the fighter punch even harder and have even more cool weapons and more ways to kill people and stuff and to kill people harder and faster. But it's hard to balance that right. because, like, we we don't want the fighter to win every time either. So it's, it's, it's all very complex. And, and we're, so we've talked about, Oh, well, what if we added an armor for the fighter that allowed it to do something cooler than just give it a point of damage or something like maybe to let it look at the next card in its deck and put it in there, like the, the different things to think about. But then the fighter starts to lose its identity because 
it's a tank. Like we wanted to keep that flavor and that identity, but at the same time, you 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 hear what I'm saying. It's 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 tough because like the fighter is great at early levels, and so we certainly don't necessarily want to make the fighter better at twelve and accidentally make it even better at low levels. You know, other than that one matchup, it's pretty good at twelve too. So. That was something we talked about at uh, a meeting recently. Uh, our, we had a Heroes Digital meeting recently. Was the fighter was doing totally fine and even really good in some matches, except for cleric, and it was doing better against cleric than it used to. Right, and I was like, "Well, I don't think that's the end of the world. Like, if if it's got a winning record in four out of five matchups, like, I'm just going to throw out some numbers here. They don't necessarily totally re- reflect." you know, what what's, uh, we saw in our meeting. But if the fighter was, let's say, winning 60% of the time in four matchups, but only like 35% of the time in the fifth matchup, like, well, sure, we'd like all of the results in every single matchup to be around 50-50. Maybe that's okay, though. Like, if he's like someone who's kind of scary in four matchups, but kind of wussy in the fifth matchup, like, Maybe that's okay. Like, and maybe that's even more interesting than being 50 50 in all five matchups. Yeah, I think so too. And we could literally spend probably several episodes worth just talking with you on balancing details. Uh, so, we, I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole, but just sure. while we're on the fighter, though, I think the fighter is unique because it's a little more one dimensional than other characters in that it's, yes. it's going to punch you in the face. And if, it, if you miss, you die. And if you don't, you win. Um, and but I, I've also realized that um, if you change it too much, like you said, it loses its identity and it doesn't become the fighter anymore. But that said, being the only class without any form of healing whatsoever really kind of um, focuses the play style that you're going to use with that fighter. Yeah. And an, another thing um, to consider. So when the physical game, uh, we first released characters in the physical game, which is obviously before there was anything digital. Um, the complaint was the fighter always beat the wizard and that the fighter was good and the wizard was bad. That was the complaint. And I, I often, well, I want to hear feedback from players. And I think that at least how players feel is important. Um, I try not to overly knee jerk reaction to something one or two players say. And part of my concern was, the fighter is the easiest, at low levels at least, uh-huh. well, in general, is the easiest character to play well, and the wizard is the hardest character to play well. So I felt part of those results were, well, either you haven't played the wizard enough times, or you're not a good enough player <laughs> to play the wizard well type thing. It's not necessarily because the wizard's bad. It's bad in these circumstances, like the circumstances, like basically if both players are of equal skill and the skill is not particularly high, yeah, the fighter is going to win a lot, especially if the wizard hasn't got a lot of practice with the wizard. So I was like, well, maybe it'll just sort itself out over time if they keep with it, right? Um, and if we need your reaction, pump the wizard up, what if they play a lot and suddenly the wizard is just dominating because we did that? Um Again, with the digital, we have options for dealing with all this that we didn't have with the physical. Um, but I have found, for example, like my results with the thief were atrocious in digital compared to the other classes. And I was really frustrated with it because the data didn't back me up. Like the data suggested the thief was fine compared to other classes. And so why was I struggling? And it's because I just hadn't figured out the right line of play. 
for the thief. Like I, I hadn't figured out the right way to engine build and the right way to play the engine. And the, I hadn't necessarily chosen the right ability at level 12 or whatever. And now I have. And so now the thief, my thief is fine compared to everyone else. And I'm sort of going through that process with the fighter. Um, you know, the fighter does struggle a little bit at level 12, but I'm sort of figuring out the correct line of play with fighter. Uh, so I feel like I'm doing pretty well with all five of the classes, but I didn't start out doing pretty well with all five because I, I found sometimes the line of play was more obvious to me with some characters than others. So I think that it, we have to be very careful of our knee-jerk evaluations of things, um, which is one of the reasons why when like, oh, you should add more complexity to this game or whatever, I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll write that down over here and I'll get back to you. You know, like so the important part wasn't whether when players give feedback like this, it's not whether it's the important part isn't whether the player is actually correct. Like it's a lot of times they'll give me feedback that directly is contradicted by thousands of games of data or whatever. It's how they feel. And we don't want to make products that make the player feel unhappy and feel frustrated. We don't want to have that sort of unsubscribe or disconnect moment where they're like, this game sucks and, and, and like quit the game. So we, we, we have to listen for that and, and make changes that respond to that without actually making the game worse. Like Matt said earlier, uh, I've been playing Hero Realms for a long time, but in the digital app since the alpha and, and Matt was pretty early on in the beta that he started playing. Um, and the balance has only gotten better over time. So, I mean, while we don't think everything's perfect, we think it is getting much closer and everything. So that's good. Well, Anything you didn't like is Rob's fault. Anything you liked, I'll take credit for it. Well, congratulations, Darwin. You've been doing a great job. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you have any sort of an estimate as to when this will get a more general release and, and not be in beta? Yes, I do. <laughs> so the reason I know is because we just had a meeting about it this week where we kind of set a goal date for when we wanted to release it, but we didn't discuss... But if you happen to be on a podcast, feel free to talk about it. Like that, that didn't really come up. Um, but I will tell you that um, our, our goal is to have it uh, released sometime between now and the end of the summer, but closer to now than the end of the summer. Um, just a few more questions before we head into the final part of the interview here. Um, the health cap which it was introduced uh, maybe about a month ago. We're recording this in early April, 2022. And the health cap was instituted in the beta, which basically said characters cannot heal over the health cap. Uh, some people were skeptical about this at first. I was kind of in the middle, but I've really liked the effects of the health cap. And I think it's really kind of uh, improved the health of the game overall. How, how do you guys feel about the health cap so far and what you can uh, divulge? Right. So I was skeptical at first, but definitely willing to try it because we it was going it was targeted to solve multiple very real problems that I realized were problems and I didn't have a better idea of how to solve those problems. So I'm like, sure, let's try it. Like, I mean, I wasn't confident it would work out, um, you know, that and there were things that we were going to lose that I liked, but. I, I, you know, I, I'm, when we've got problems and I don't have a better idea, sure. The problem number one was some games are going too long, which directly contradicts like the whole goal of 
the whole design goal of Heroes in the first place. I want this fast tempo, fast game. But when you ha- add characters and then like level those characters and stuff, suddenly like we had some really long games. Because among the things, a lot of the skills and abilities involved health gain and allowed defensive you know lockdowns, especially with cleric. And so suddenly we were getting to we had to add this artificial thing that doesn't exist in the physical game, but maybe should where. At some point, there's a doom clock where you just both players are taking damage because we want the game to be over with type of thing. And to me, that is not elegant. I mean, I can conceive of a world where it's necessary and you you just go and say, this game's been released and this is a thing because the alternative is worse. Right. But it's not elegant. And I want elegance in the games I design. And I, I didn't design this game to have a doom clock and it made me super sad. So one, with a digital game in particular, the game has to end eventually. You you can't design a game that's just keep going to keep going. Like, because, you know, what if we want to have a tournament or a real-time game or something? Like, we can't be like, well, we're playing for an hour and I really need to go to work, so I guess I'm signing off. You're like, no, no. Like, so I, I didn't want the Doom Clock, but I knew that the way the game was set up, it needed it. That was problem number one. And problem number two is the Cleric was too powerful and part of it had to do with runaway health gain. Like I was winning games with the cleric where I was at 200 health at the end, which is there's someone listening to this podcast who's not super familiar with heroes, which seems unlikely, but in case there is, that's a ton. That is like four times the starting health. That's like, which is, it just doesn't happen and certainly shouldn't happen. But, you know, but the problem is when we announced the health cap, which was meant to try and address some of these things, we were like, but I love having 200 health where I win. It's so much fun. But yeah. But how do you feel when you lose and the other person has 200 health? <laughs> That's question number one. And do you really love going to 200 health? Like, you know, maybe maybe you just think you love it. Anyways, I love the health cap. So to, to clarify what you were saying earlier, what the health cap is, is we just say every character has a starting health and can never go over what their starting health is. So we've capped their health at their starting health, which from flavor wise, that seems perfectly reasonable because, OK, in a fight, in a fight, you might get beat up and then, OK, maybe you can heal yourself back up to full strength. But it's like you heal yourself to greater strength, like you grew a third <laughs> arm because you took this healing potion. Like, you know, I mean, maybe you worked out a lot, but you're in the middle of a fight. Did you really, you know, build up muscle? I don't know. The, the, it makes it's perfectly makes perfect sense flavor wise to have the health cap and gameplay wise it's really solving the problems i want it solved and it's elegant like you know I, I think certain when you talk about elegance in games there is a certain amount of um you know beauty is an eye beholder it's, it's your opinion but but it is it's just more elegant it's just better the game is smoother feels better games go, aren't going as long we don't have these crazy blots, and it has made the the cleric not as powerful because there are opportunities to gain lots of health in the early game with the cleric that you don't benefit from because of the health cap, and so that keeps the other person in the game longer. And so, what I've found as the cleric player, I've had to adjust my line of play, but it still works out fine. And frankly, it, it almost makes me play better because for example i have this resurrection ability that when i uh, resurrect a um, one of my champions that's been defeated i gain a bunch of health 
with the health cap, if I use that ability early in the game, I don't gain the health. Uh-huh. And so I really want to gain the health. Otherwise, I'm not maximizing the power of that card. So now I'm incentivized to wait, no, wait, wait. Like you see all these movies where like there's a, a battle scene and you're like, wait, wait, wait. And you gotta you know, move, make your move right at the right time. And this incentivizes me to play better because as it turns out, using the way the, the correct line of play, the way the cleric plays against other characters, it's almost never correct to use the resurrection early. You may be able to get advantage of it, like, oh, but I'll be able to draw an extra card, and I'll get this thing, and I'll be able to kill their guy, which I wouldn't otherwise, and I'll be able to buy this card I wouldn't be able to buy otherwise. So it seems like a great idea. It's not, right? Like, it's best to use the resurrection in the mid-game when you really need the health, and you're getting this amazing character champion back, and, you know, you blow the game wide open at just the right time, and now I'm incentivized to play the cleric better, where before I was using that card the wrong way. So it's it's great because it's made the cleric not as gross while also incentivizing me personally to play the cleric better. And it's solved. We don't have the, the games going so long that we have the doom clock. So I personally love it. I'm really glad to hear you guys like it because this is what I hear from players. And admittedly, you're two of the players I hear from the most often because <laughs> you're two of the players who sometimes come to my hero realm stream every other Wednesday. Uh, night at 7 p.m. Yep. Uh, or join Rob Doherty this week at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Wise Wizard Games Twitch channel for Hero Realms digital stream. But anyways, I digress. Um, I hear at first people are like, no, I can't believe you're making a health cap. This sucks. I can't believe. And now after, you know, X number of weeks, people are like, yeah, actually, it's pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is good. Yeah. So it sounds like the health cap is probably here to stay. Basically, if it doesn't stay, it's because we've come up with an even better solution. And if we haven't, it's kind of like over my dead body in metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, I have one final question about Hero Realms. And okay. then, Tim, if you've got another one to jump in afterwards. But are you still planning on raising the max hero level beyond level 12? And yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Good. Excellent to hear. That's very exciting. Uh, uh, second question is, are there any other um, functions or things you're going to implement into the digital app before the final release? For example, an end turn now option. Um, so I don't think the end turn now option will happen between now and the full release. We have something like that in Star Realms, which might be why you're asking. Uh, and people like it in Star Realms. And one of the key things is we were able to implement it in Star Realms later. Like some things are hard to implement if you don't have them in an, at the ground level. Like the undo button. Yeah, because people like it in Star Realms and because it is the type of thing you can implement later, we probably will implement it later. But it's not a, one of our priorities now for reasons not worth getting into now since you were close to in the interview. But something that might be worth discussing now uh, about like other features and about the leveling thing. Um, the idea is we want to go significantly higher than level 12, uh, but w that will require more design work, for one thing. Like, we need to design more treasures and more skills and more abilities. And two, um, it'll be a while before we release them, because what we want to do is we'll release, hypothetically, let's say, the first eight levels or the first 10 levels or the first 12 levels when we release the game. And then periodically we'll release we'll raise the level cap so okay 
for the first six months, you could only level your guy up to level 10 or whatever. Now, for the next six months, you can level them up to level 15 or whatever type thing. So we'll gradually increase the level cap with new releases of the game that has new content. And part of the new content will be the stuff necessary to level your characters higher. So you can unlock the higher levels to make your level higher. That's my understanding of our plan that I'm comfortable sharing with you guys. So that hopefully addresses that, yes, we do plan on going past level 12, but we want it up to level 12 tested before we do the first release. All right. Gotcha. Um, the other thing is uh, one feature I expect us to add before launch is the ability to play vanilla without characters. Ooh. I asked about that in the alpha, and I remember, I think maybe it was, maybe Joel responded to me on the Discord and said, oh, but why would you want to do that? And I was like, well, you know. So Rob and I have gone back and forth on this because I really want vanilla as an option. I don't want it as much now as I used to because I used to like, why would I ever play characters? Vanilla is so cool. Now I love playing with characters, so I'm like, I don't know, do I really want to play vanilla? But I really like it as an option in part as a gateway, because there's going to be some people who are going to be easier to get into the game through vanilla than through characters, you know, some of which are people who don't play Star Arms, some people will play Star Arms, and in both cases, potentially having a vanilla option will help. And some people will actually per- prefer vanilla, you know, and, and the nice thing about it, and this is one of the things we talk about in our digital meetings, is it's not that hard to implement digitally. So we do want to release the full version sooner rather than later. Um, as I sort of hinted at uh, pretty strongly, um, <laughs> in part because then we can start charging people real money for it. But no, um, like I said, we're we're a company, and companies like to make some money, so we can keep paying our salaries, et cetera, and keep uh, you know people on staff uh, and make more games. But um, so we want to release it sooner rather than later. So any features we add now, it matters a lot if they're easy to implement. Like, cause, gotcha. oh, well, if let, let's, let's say hypothetically we were going to release in two months. Well, we have to can finish this and this. Oh, you want to add a new feature? Can we do that and finish this and still release it in two months? So, uh, you know, if, if there's a feature request that we think would be nice that would take a long time, eh, we'll add that with one of the expansions. You know? but, but I do think it's likely we'll add vanilla in part because I think that it's a good idea to launch with vanilla for a bunch of reasons. And in part, because I don't think it'll be difficult to. And it w- it will allow for a uh, legends type format where you can do Swiss rounds without characters and heroes. Yeah. The yeah. No, or something. Cool. Um, kind of speaking of that as, as someone who recently won a legends and has worked with you on getting their card made, can you do a quick rundown for everybody of that process because it, you don't have to go into super detail, but kind of what's the process for that? Because that's a goal for a lot of players. Right. So um, we go as a company, we attend a lot of major gaming conventions, especially here in the United States. So places like Gen Con mm-hmm. and Origins, um, PAX East, uh, uh, there's a PAX in Philadelphia, you know, stuff like that. We, we go to a bunch of major uh, gaming conventions. And when we do, we usually run tournaments. And when we run as a company, when we run a tournament at a convention, we typically like to have what's called a Legends tournament. And we even had one, a Legends tournament on the Star Realms app recently. So we had a digital Legends tournament, which was pretty cool and was well attended. And the idea being that, you know, while there's various prizes 
that you can be achieved in our tournaments. If you win a Legends tournament, you're going to be immortalized within the game itself. Um, so uh, the one of the more exciting aspects of that is we're going to make a card that includes your image in it if you've won this tournament. All right. So, you know, forever on in our game, there will be a card with your likeness included in the artwork and featured in the artwork even. Um, so in Hero Realms, typically what that means is we're going to design a champion that will be included in the trade deck at some point in the game, you know, uh, in some form or fashion, and we'll make a champion that looks like you, right? Like, we'll we'll go ahead and take some photos of you and put the art smack right over it to make sure, no, that really looks like you. Um, and, you know, obviously we request certain uh, photos from the winner uh, for that process. And we do discuss at least a little bit what the character the champion is going to be like so a lot of times i'll usually the legend interacts with me so usually there's some emails exchanged since i'm the creative director so i usually design the card and i usually take point in making sure the art gets made and is you know satisfactory and a lot of times i'll be working with uh so I'm the art director for Star Realms, but uh, this awesome artist named Anthonis is the art director for Hero Realms. And uh, a lot of times uh, he'll be, some of the art he makes himself and some of it he'll have other people that he's supervising making it. But whether he's making it himself or he's supervising someone else, he will check in with me and be like, oh, this is how it's coming. You know, what do you think? Should we go in a different direction? Are you happy with this direction? And at the end, he's always like, okay, you know, this is kind of, you know, we're ready to see if you want to approve this or not. And when it, when it comes to Legends cards, my, my most common friend is, I'm not sure if it's obvious enough that that's who it is. Like, it <laughs> needs to look more like the, the person, right? Like, I don't really care, you know, about whether the armor is spiky or not or, you know, what this or that. But, man, that face needs to look more like that person. Because when that person picks up the card, I want to be like, wow, that's me. That's like such a key part of the process um so that's something i really uh, emphasize so like you know i don't want any closed helmets right. <laughs> i don't want eyes closed like no like the face is a real featured part right and, you know maybe we'll make your muscles bulge in an unrealistic <laughs> way but the face has got to look like you um so uh you know and like for example uh we had the ceo so the ceo of the company rob is married to the COO of the company, Debbie. And he wanted to surprise her at some point by making her into a hero on this card. And uh, we we both understood that we need to make her look as attractive as possible if she was going to be happy with that. So, so she's looking really good in that card. So and we, we gave that card to Antonis because we weren't going to outsource that art because it had to be right. But um, but she was very happy with it. That's the illusionist card in Heroes, but um, which is not in digital yet for those who are curious. But uh, so back to the Legends process. So what, you'll email with me. And so I'll I'll ask you for photos and then i'll also say okay hey do you prefer which faction do you prefer necros or guild like do you have a favorite faction so sometimes i'm doing often i'm doing several legends cards at once and i'll have created a pool of cards that are sort of balanced between the factions because mm -hmm. we don't want the market deck to lean heavily in one direction or another so i'll also say well also i need to know like your second favorite just in case like everyone want, get, wants guild i can't give guild to everyone for example um, it's even harder in Star Realms because no one wants to be a blob for some reason. <laughs> and it's also hard to make the, the blobs look like a real person. So I don't, I usually, so, but in, at least in Hero Realms, we've got tons of champions. Um, so uh, I'll ask you what faction you want to be. 
then sometimes we'll get into mechanics a little bit like, oh, I really want my guy to be combat oriented or I really want to draw cards or something. And then I'll try and incorporate that into the card. Uh, and the big thing I often ask for is help naming the card because I want not just your face in the card. I, if possible, I want to incorporate your name somehow. So it's a little harder if your name is... Uh, really anachronistic, like it doesn't sound like a kind of swashbuckling swords and fantasy kind of name. So, you know, I, I'm I'm not necessarily going to just be like, you know, Joe Smith, the fighter. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe it can be like, you know, Josiah Smithington or whatever. I don't know. Like, but the point is, we can make it so it's your name, but cooler. Mm -hmm. um, so, so usually there's a consult in the name. We use your photos. We try and make it your favorite faction or, or one of your favorite factions. And if you've got a particular mechanic you want to request, we can often work that in. Let's say you're the wild faction. Maybe you want to be an elf. Maybe you want to be one of the wolf shaman tribe. Like maybe you want to be a troll. Who knows? Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you get a little bit involved in the creative process. And importantly, you're immortalized in what's hopefully one of your favorite games. So it's something that a lot of people aspire to because Heroes is a cool game. Definitely is. Hopefully I'll get there someday and join and join my co-host here. I look forward to working with you on your card. Well, it has been a pleasure to do that with you, Darwin, by the way. So um, oh, awesome. I, I have uh, two more questions that are not Hero Realms related. Number one, I know you're writing a book or you've written a book. Can you tell just mm -hmm. a quick little blurb about what that is? My pleasure. It's a murder mystery, but it's a what I think is a relatively original twist on it. Because it uses a sort of uh, Chronicles of Narnia twist in that the main character, who's a private investigator, is from the United States, from the present, but he ends up going through a portal to another world that's a medieval world with medieval technology, uh, with where he doesn't know anything about the culture or the people, and he gets dragged into trying to solve the murder of the king. And among other things, it's uh, very um, interesting because he has a gun and guns aren't a thing there. <laughs> um, so we have this sort of um, a, um, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe kind of trope of, you know, fish out of water story. But at the same time, it's a murder mystery, and it's got lots of twists and turns, and uh, it was really fun writing it. Cool, cool. That sounds great. Do you have a working title for it by any chance? Or uh, So the first title was Royal Assassin, um, because one, uh, assassins play a big role in the story. Like There's a whole uh, culture of assassins in one of the countries in this story. Uh, two, the king's been assassinated and, you know, he's royalty. And three, there's a famous magic card called Royal Assassin. So it kind of ties into me personally, but it turns out a relatively famous fantasy author wrote a book called Royal Assassin. So that's kind of out the window. So currently the working title is Kalasari Assassin because this culture of assassins, uh, they're called Kalasari Assassins. They're from the country of Kalasar. Got a nice ring to it. I like it. Yeah, I thought so. And and by making it so specific, a proper noun, I don't have to worry like, oh, someone else has stolen this title. You'd be amazed how many books that 
involve a king dying have been written <laughs> and you know, any kind of you know title that's even vaguely suggestive of that's probably been taken like uh, shockingly a lot of books have been written <laughs> so i have to come up with a pretty unique title these days like that's like the story with like star realms and hero realms like it was like Wow, everything with the word star in it and wars has been taken, interestingly <laughs> enough. Like, what where are we gonna go with this? And like I came up with Star Arms and the rest of the team was like, ah, that's stupid. And I'm like, no, no, trust me, people will love it. <laughs> and I explained, you know, like, and each person's gonna have their own realm. It'll be a star realm, and you know. <laughs> and then and then like they thought, oh, hero realms, that's stupid. Sure, I understand realms, but hero realms, like, why is that fantasy? I'm like, you got a better idea? <laughs> like, so, no, um, so name is kind of my thing. But yeah, so Kalasari Assassin, uh, hopefully I'll be uh, looking for publishers within a month or two. Cool. Good to hear. We'll definitely be on the lookout for that. And then, as you know from uh, some emails back and forth for my Legends card, I love cats. Can you tell me a little about your cat, Nia? Yeah, so uh, I adopted her. I used to work wiser games in an office you know we, we rented space and we had like you know eight or nine people working in the same building uh when the pandemic hit we were just looking to rent a new bigger office so we were sort of just about to be between offices so a silver lining of the you know initial lockdown was that oh well we were just going to stop paying rent here and we hadn't lined up a new place to pay rent let's all work from home so suddenly the company was saving a bunch of money on rent and as it turns out, the most of the work we do totally works from home. Uh -huh. So, you know, you, you have to have the right culture and the right people uh, working from home. And, and it's a different culture than working in an office. Um, I personally had at first it was very difficult for me to adjust. But now I've learned to prefer working from home. And. Uh, we also really like the whole not paying rent on an office <laughs> thing. So, uh, and you know, there still is a pandemic. So, we're probably not going to be moving back into an office anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I still have meetups with Rob in person to do some playtesting and stuff. But for the most part, we're, we're going almost completely digital uh, or, you know, long distance. So, mm -hmm. uh, I felt like I had dogs, but back when we had an office, I, I literally would bring the dogs with me to the office. Um, basically as one of the owners of the company, you know, you get certain perks and, you know, Rob was like, my perk is I want an office that's in within five minutes of my house. And I'm like, well, my perk is I'm bringing my dog. And, uh, so I didn't, there was a bunch of reasons a cat wasn't going to work. Um, in part, Rob's allergic to cats. Um, but also like, you know, who knows what shenanigans the cat's going to get up or what's going to go wrong with the cat if you bring that to, to the office. And and then maybe the cats and the dogs make the office environment too boisterous if they're both there. Um, but working from home, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not getting enough interaction, not interacting with humans. And I'd feel perfectly fine having more pets because I'm here all the time. Um, I'd been resistant to getting, I'd always liked cats, but I'd been resistant to getting cats for two reasons. One, because I hate dealing with litter boxes. Uh, and two, because I, I found so many people had cats that just didn't care about people. Like, and I didn't want to go through all the trouble of getting a pet that didn't want to interact with me or was aloof and didn't care about me. Like, I want affection if I'm going to like make sure you exist type thing. So um, I, what put me over the top when I was kind of leaning that way was when I found out about like self-cleaning litter boxes, I'm like, 
all right, maybe it's not so bad. So I went to a, a shelter because I, I adopt all my pets from shelters. You know, as long as I'm going to do this, I might as well help, help a creature out. And I met multiple cats and I said, I'm going to wait and see which cat picks me. I want to go home with a cat that's into me. I don't <laughs> want like some cat that's going to go off in a corner, ignore me. And so there was this cat named Neapolitan. I call her Nia for short. And she decided to use me as a jungle gym. So she was just climbing all over my head and my shoulders and my back and everywhere. And you know, the other cats were a little bit shy and like didn't necessarily want to play, but Nia was all about me. So I'm like, this one, I want this one that's on my back right now. <laughs> um, and uh, it worked out great. Like uh, they they kept telling me like, oh, she's going to be this, that and standoffish. And not nah, like she basically wants to be in my lap as much as possible. She's adorable in every way and like i tell people that you know i I, you know i want to live as long as possible and as far as the dogs go i would hate to die because of the effect it would have on my dog because my dogs would be devastated because they adore me i as far as my cat goes i would hate to die because i would miss her so much because i adore her so much oh my gosh like i think my girlfriend's a little bit disgusted how much i adore this cat i'm like okay we're gonna go to bed now i'm gonna wrap you in a little blankie like i'm i just i now totally get people who are like i i can't live without my cat i'm like oh drama queen much now i'm like yep totally get it and if you're curious uh i know this wasn't planned but the uh wizard familiar cat in hero realms looks an awful lot like Nia. So I, I agree. I frequently ask people uh, or people frequently ask me if uh, the cat familiar for the wizard was inspired by Nia, but uh, Nia's, I don't think she's even two years old yet. So she didn't exist when the art for that card was made. It's just a happy coincidence. And to be quite clear, Nia is much cuter than that, <laughs> that cat. True. True. That's good. Now I, I will continue not feeling so bad every time I sacrifice that that familiar cat. <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, we have run the gambit with you today, Darwin. We have covered your gaming history, things you've accomplished, all of the amazing games you've designed. We've learned a lot about Hero Realms and what, what goes on behind the scenes. Just a delightful interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. A lot of fun. You guys are great. Yes. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. And we'll put this in the show notes too, Darwin, but do you want to plug your streams or anything else one more time here before we finish up? Sure. So um, I stream Star Realms every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Yesterday, I streamed a tournament at 1 p.m. instead. But generally, every uh, Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern time, you can send me challenges and join the stream. And uh, if you defeat me, you get 100 credits spent in Star Realms. Um, and then Wednesday nights, Rob and I take turns. So like this week, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, Rob will be streaming. But then the following week, I'll be streaming Hero Realms at 7 p.m. Eastern time, which it's cool already, but will be cooler when Hero Realms is wide released. So then there'll be that much more people interested in that stream. And when they watch, it'll be like, oh, I can actually just download this and play. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we do have weekly streams of both Hero Realms and Star Realms. But Almost as cool and arguably cooler. Lots of fans have streams for these games now, especially Star Realms. But now, occasionally, we're having fans streaming Hero Realms. And I tell you, um, I I look back at my life before designing games, and like to imagine that 
there'd be people out there who liked a game created by me so much that they'd stream it or, oh my God, make a podcast about it. <laughs> Blows my mind. And it's like, makes me so happy. You guys make me so happy. Thank you. I'm so happy. Well, you have brought us a lot of happiness and enjoyment as well. So big thanks to you from the bottom of my heart. My pleasure. You're welcome. to the end of the show. Congratulations. You're a nerd. Tune into the next episode of Sparks and Recreation for more on community events, meta-analysis, and everything Hero Realm.